and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hey, good morning. Um, My name's Laura Beth, and I'm reading some scripture for us. Um, It's in John 13. It says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my feet as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That, it was, that, that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now you know these things. God will bless you for doing them. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Okay. Wow. My name is Erin Britt, if you haven't met me yet. Um, What a grand introduction. Um, I am one of the pastors here, and I get to work with the 0 through 18 friends of our church. And if you haven't actually, like, met me in this room and maybe just, like, seen me on a screen— this month, we're doing some really exciting things in our kids' ministry. So I have this month, I have been in the back hanging out with them. Um, our preschool through preteen ministry, we call Kids Worship, and that's for a lot of reasons. But at the heart of it, we want to teach kids how to live out a life of worship. Whether that is through art or singing or playing games, we want them to know that they were made on purpose for a purpose. And that in the middle of all of the crazy, that life is better lived in the midst of worship. And I really, really believe in this, and it is really magical, and also it can be really exhausting. Um, I don't know the last time you all tried to get a library full of kids to stand up or sit down, but it is crazy. I have so much respect for every single teacher in this room. Um, It obviously isn't just like one action or thing, though, um, that creates an exhaustion in you, and I think I finally figured it out. I'm discovering something that a lot of you already know, that fall as an adult is just bonkers, that like... The past few years weren't just a fluke in the system, but for the rest of my life, fall is going to be crazy. And guys, I only have two cats I have to take care of. They don't require much from me, but yet it's still, still crazy. 
There are a thousand places to be and even more people to see. Fall, it seems, is the beginning of a season of required activities. And maybe you feel this too. I hope you do, so then I'm not alone. But maybe you're watching the same football games every week with the same people, which is a fun thing to do, but it is another thing on the list. Or maybe you have a thousand practices to go to, whether your own or your kids or your friends, and those are long. Those take up a lot of your time, and you have to remember to bring a chair half the time, and that's too much for me. Also, all the holidays are coming up, and those days are not only just crazy on those days, but also every day around it is crazy and bonkers. And I feel like that has been settling into my soul lately. These past three weeks, Chris and Lindsay have been preaching through the Difference Course, which is something created by the Anglican Church to help Christians cross divides and build back relationships in a divided world. Weeks and weeks ago, whenever we were planning this all out, I learned I'd be speaking on hope, which sounded so fun at the moment. But this past week has made me feel crazy for thinking I have anything to say about it at all. That this is wild. And not that I'm in despair or hopeless, but do you ever feel like you've like run out of the warm and fuzzies? Like it's just, it's just been drained out of you? Um, if I was one of you and I walked into this room today and someone was preaching, definitely not Lindsay or Chris, um, and they said they were preaching on hope and how I should have it, I would roll my eyes, sit down, and tune out. I would be out of it for the rest of the time. And so diving into this, um, I realized something about myself that I think I have more hope than I thought, and I also think I define hope wrong. Two Thursdays ago, Blount County Young Life had their banquet. If you do not know, I get to work part-time here and part-time there, and it is the most fun. It is crazy and wild, and I love, love, love all the people I get to do my job alongside. So this banquet on Thursday, one of my most favorite people in the world, Laura Beth Myers, who you just saw read a perfectly said scripture on this stage, um, she was up there speaking, and it was announced that she was going to become the new director of Blount County Young Life, which is a huge deal. Thank you. It is a huge deal. And as I was sitting there listening to her, talking about how much she loves Jesus and how much she desires for all students of all backgrounds in this county to know him, I was getting so teary. I had so many tears just falling out of my eyes because I had so desperately hoped for that moment. Not because I dislike the outgoing leadership, so sorry, Tim Teague, so sorry, my friend, but because I believed in my friend so, so much. And if you would have looked at this story um, a month and some change ago, you would have seen Laura Beth becoming a first-time mom and bringing home the cutest little baby girl you've ever seen. And you would have seen our staff hoping and praying for her and that motherhood would be everything she wanted and that she was okay and getting some sleep. Um, Charlie Joe, you might have been lucky enough to see her here a few weeks ago getting dedicated, and you all are very lucky to be a part of the church that raises that girl. She's going to be awesome. Um, so then if you would have looked at this story quite a few months ago, at the beginning of the year, you would have seen Laura Beth and I, plus a few others, asleep on the Atlanta airport floor at 4 a.m. Um, due to missed flights and some full hotels, just hoping we would somehow make it home. If you would have looked 12-ish hours before that, you would have seen our Young Life staff huddled around the tiniest table you can find in New York City, which is a feat. Um, and you would have seen all of us looking each other in the eyes, crying and telling each other how lucky we are to work with one another and how glad we are to be here. And after who knows how long of that, Tim says the craziest thing. He says, hey, Laura Beth and I have talked, and we're going to start going through the steps of hoping that she'll become the area director of Blount County Young Life. 
And in that moment, a hope so large it started pouring out of my eyes was formed in my soul. It had come to rest with me. Hope for my friend and my community and what God was doing in the both of them. Last week, that hope came to be, and as I was getting a little teary, I realized that the hope was with me all along, even though I had never called it that. I don't recognize my own hope whenever it's actually working out and going well. And I don't know. I think I just don't notice it. And I hate that, just because it feels natural and right and not pressured. And I think hope can be sneaky like that. Even if you felt like you had none left when you walked through the doors today, I know you have it in you because the person who created you is the creator and the foundation of all of our hope. And I believe that a hope that comes up in you naturally and normally is just as powerful as a chosen and broken and wild hope. But I just don't want to move on too fast because I think they are both beautiful and powerful. And I wanted to tell you that the spring of hope that is natural in you has not died. You just might need to take a step back and look for it closer. So throughout this series, Chris and Lindsay have been talking about building relationships in the face of difference. Leading up to this, we have walked through three different habits that kind of form and shape how we approach this. One, be curious. Two, be present. Three, reimagine. Being curious means asking a question instead of making a decision. Um, Being present means to listen whenever someone answers that question. And reimagining means sitting in the midst of all of that and thinking about how this relationship or situation could be different from what it is now. So Jesus obviously does this well, as he does most things. Earlier, LB read a story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. In this story, I think he not only lives out these habits really well, but gives us really tangible ways of how to hope in each of those moments. So I want to look at it again, but in a bit of a different way. One of my favorite ways to study scripture is through imaginative prayer. And maybe all the youth in the room just rolled their eyes because I do this a lot in the spaces I have the honor of leading because this has made the Holy Spirit and scripture feel so alive to me. It's the process of taking a piece of scripture and looking at it with our minds wide open and our senses wide open to see it from a new perspective or for the first time, maybe just our own. Imaginative prayer leads you not to learn someone else's interpretation of scripture, but maybe see what God has for you in it and what he's telling you. And so we're going to walk through this chunk of scripture, kind of like an imaginative prayer, because as I was reading it, looking for these habits, instead of having anything I felt like I could say to you all, I felt like it gave me a lot of questions that I didn't know if I could answer, but I wanted to share them with you. So I'm going to go through different chunks of this scripture, probably ask you some questions and I want you to tune in and let your imagination run wild. So, starting in John 13, 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus walked into this room knowing what was going to happen to him. And he knew his disciples, both the light and the dark sides of them, and he loved them anyways. So have you ever walked into a room knowing the outcome? Maybe knowing time is fleeting. Maybe knowing that the people that love you are going to hurt you. Jesus was in this moment becoming curious with the outcome of these final moments with his disciples, even though he already knew the larger story that was at play. Becoming curious about a moment, even when the result seems set in stone, is something I don't want us to miss. In hard relationships, it is very easy to believe that the final outcome might negate the worthiness of your curiosity about the moment. But I think Jesus shows us that it doesn't. Here's the thing. In hard relationships, um, 
you have this belief about what is going to happen. And it might be true. It might be that something is never healed, that someone never reaches out to you, that someone never apologizes. What is broken may never be put back together. But Jesus here models that curiosity and leads us to wonder about this moment, not the end of the story. So I ask you, what does it look like to be curious about the moment and not the final outcome? So, Going back into scripture, second verse reads, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, in this moment, took what was around him and decided to become present instead of checking out. And it's really hard to imagine not being present while washing someone's feet, right? Like, that is, that'd be difficult. He put himself in the worst position to give himself the best perspective. Jesus here decided to make himself present. Not in a soft way, not in a if-it-works-for-me kind of way. He could have easily just sat back and enjoyed the meal, but he didn't. So what does it look like to be forcefully present? to put yourself in a position you cannot hide from, to checking in so you cannot check out, letting what is gross and hard and uncomfortable and maybe embarrassing make sure that you are present to let the hard lead you into being there. It is easy to put brokenness on a back burner if we can find a way. So what does it mean to let yourself be the washer of feet? Going back into verse 6. Says he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus had reimagined a culture as a whole and flipped it in on itself. Foot washing was a marker of status. The higher of status got their feet washed, and the lower of status did the washing. It was upside down, and Peter recognized that. Jesus, he was a master doing the work of a servant and a man doing the work of a woman. Having had put all things under his power, he chose to serve. He said to Peter, unless we experience this moment together, you have no part with me. So what does it look like to believe that in your relationships? I think sometimes in the relationships we have no hope for or feel the most lost are the ones that we feel like are a part of us, that we feel like we have part in family, coworkers, spouses. So what does it mean to believe that unless we are willing to be present and curious and reimagining with these people, that we have no part with them? That our opinions and problem solving and micromanaging cannot exist for a person that we are not holding space for. So, skim down in the scripture to verse 15. It says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Have you before felt the grace of curiosity about yourself? That when someone could have made a decision about you, they instead asked a question? Have you ever felt the honor of someone being like really present with you? When the world and life and the story is unfolding, that someone instead decided to sit with you and see you? Have you felt the hope of someone reimagining alongside you, agreeing with you that things are not as they should be, and working together hand-in-hand with you to change them. Jesus says, now as you have known and seen, you'll be blessed as you do this. 
Through an earthly practical act with just 12 disciples, Jesus modeled something extraordinary, turning his power upside down and relating to the disciples in service, tenderness, and love. Peter did not get it at first. I didn't prevent Judas from betraying him, but Jesus chose to do it. He chose to hope wildly, and I do think a wild hope is sometimes the most fun. So if you've heard the story of Jesus washing his feet before, you've probably heard it a thousand times. It becomes something that becomes a bit more normal to us, or slightly abnormal, because we don't walk around washing each other's feet, right? That isn't something that we're familiar with. Um, Also, um, it was his last day on earth, and so it makes this story kind of kooky, because I don't know about you all, but I have this image of me, if I knew it was my last day on earth, that I would be a totally different person. I would really go out there, make amends, solve all the problems of the world, all of it. So it makes this story a bit more of something we know we should do, but it makes it a bit harder to execute. And to me, the hope, the most of the hope in the world comes from doing something about it. So what does it mean to do these things even when we don't feel them? Even whenever I don't have my last day on earth, spirit. When we feel exhausted by even trying to hold space for a person, because we just don't want to do it because we don't, it's hard. When we are able to say we believe in a hope that is deeper and wider than our reality, I think it changes things. And when we do the hopeful thing, even when we don't want to. In the Gospels, there's this fantastic story about Jesus turning water into wine. And I love this story. And I love talking to kids about this story because in it, um, Jesus's mom tells him to do something. He says no, and then she continues acting like he said yes. Um, And he just goes on But then eventually he does do it. He does the thing and it was the right move. And the lesson to learn from this story is that moms are always right. And that is what I'm teaching your kids. You're welcome. (laughs) But beyond his mom being right, I love the story because generally it doesn't matter. Obviously it matters. Everything Jesus did or said matters. But if we're going to compare it to people raised from the dead, thousands fed, or people rescued from demons, it just seems like it doesn't matter. The goal of this wasn't even like converting everyone at the wedding, which is what I would have done and what I assumed, but this isn't even really where scripture spends most of its time. What it does focus on, though, is the joy and celebration from that group of people. I don't know why Jesus said no at first. I don't think Jesus didn't have any hope and that's why he said no. Um, I honestly have no thoughts as to why Jesus would even say no, but he did, and then he did the miracle anyways. Rarely can our lives look so similar to that of Jesus, but I think doing anything in hope and celebration against what our minds, bodies, or people are saying is a really clear way to be like and be near to him. And if you ask me, if you're hearing me asking you to hope, and you're hearing, get over it, just make amends, cheer up, come on. We're working with two different ideas of hope. And I feel like this one that I'm about to talk about is the one I got to discover this week. Jesus did miracles for joy. That means to Jesus, joy and hope are not small feats, and I do not want you to believe them small either. If you exist in this world today where everything is bombarding you with reasons to cry and be sad and give up, I believe that hope is an ever-aggressive choice that drives out the darkness of the world. Sorry, I'm going to adjust that. I believe that hope is the ultimate act of defiance against a world that wants you to live in gloom. I believe hope is an active choice of faith. To believe the things we dream in faith may actually come to be. To me, hope is not butterflies, rainbows, and confetti, although I love all of those things. 
but instead it is something so big and powerful that it changes the world around us. But it also changes ourselves. The relationships we have can be formed and shaped and moved by this crazy, wild, chosen hope. Because we choose to do it. Because we choose a hope that shows up around us before it ever shows up inside of us. And I believe that gradually the hope that we send out in the world does come back to us. But if I'm being really honest, I do believe that the hope will leave again. But here's the thing. I don't think that hope, actual, real, fully Christ-realized hope, is dependent on our feelings or others' reactions. But our belief that the hope of Christ does not ever dim out. The truth is that doing relationships God's way will sometimes be costly and risky because the hope it brings is radical and transformative. So, for the past few weeks, we've gotten to watch some videos, which is very fun, from people in our church and people across the world talking about the relationships and divisions in their life. We're going to watch one today that we've been hyping up for a while, so I'm really excited for you all to see it. Um, One of our own, Micah Talley, has an incredible story of hope. He has fought for it, he has lived it, and he is in constant pursuit of it. I want you to listen in to this video. Madeline, hit it, girl. So my name is Micah Talley. Um, I'm the owner here at Diamond Jack Wine Bar. Um, I serve people food for a living. That's all I really know how to do. Um, and I'm, I'm from Maryville, Tennessee, born and raised, and have grown up in this community. Where have you seen broken relationships in your life? Man, all over the place. I, I see them um, on a day-to-day basis, you know, Working in a restaurant, there's multiple personalities at any given time. Um, you have a bunch of people that are like striving for the same thing, and and that oftentimes creates friction between different personalities. Um, I I see it out in the community, um, in our school systems. I see it in our churches, um, and um, definitely in in our political world right now. You know, there's definitely a lot of broken relationships amongst um, both sides of politics. So, Where has that impacted you personally? Yeah, I, um, it's, it's extremely frustrating to me to watch and see because, you know, recently I've kind of taken on this new life of, of trying to like love and understand you know your your fellow person and um it it really has impacted me in that i've tried to kind of approach strangers differently um kind of trying to to empathize with people more and and listen before speaking um which is not something that i've always done so (laughs) will you tell me like how and why you started diamond jack yeah um i guess you could say that this is the culmination of joy and pain and how those two things kind of sit together um my nephew had just passed away um when we started toying around with the idea of diamond jack and at that point in time i had kind of been stripped of of any ego that i had before and, and kind of humbled by what this world brings on and um, I, I think that 
Um, Diamond Jack was kind of my outlet at the time to kind of pour um, myself into and and heal myself. Um, and and it has done that in a lot of ways, um, for sure. And there's been dark sides to that as well. But I think that um, this this place has kind of been built off the idea of the good and the bad happening together at one time and kind of how you move forward with that. This is gonna sound like the most generic Christian answer in the world, but I mean, my hope for change is, is the hope that we find in Jesus. And um, I think we've been kind of given the guidelines of what that looks like. And, and my hope would be that people embody that and see how that impacts their relationships and um, how that heals their soul um, personally and, and then also how that translates in, in, into the community of people around them. I feel like I've been in a constant state of reimagining my life, you know. Um, I was kind of talking about, you know, with I've, I've struggled a lot with mental health and um, my my path has kind of been up and down and up and down and so I, I feel like every time um, I hit a new peak then there's always a plummet that comes next and and um, I guess if I were to reimagine my life is um, to, to find a middle ground that's more sustainable to, to find a path that works for me that um, is is built for the long term what what does hope look like or feel like? Um, hope to me feels like when someone is holding you underwater and all you want is a breath of fresh air and you're struggling and struggling and fighting and fighting and all of a sudden you hit you hit fresh air and that deep breath of relaxation, um, the absence of stress, um, that feeling of, you know, everything's going to be okay. Um, that's what hope feels like. I have a daughter and, um, I, I guess if there's one thing that I hope for her, it's that when trouble does inevitably come, that she has such a strong connection with Jesus that she's able to, um, kind of embrace the the struggle and sit with Jesus in that moment and know that the future is still bright despite whatever it is that she's going through. I was in rehab for mental health and, and PTSD issues and um, I met a roommate actually in intake, um, this really rough looking guy that um, I normally wouldn't approach and um, we kind of like we're joking around with each other in my mind I'm like gosh I hope I'm not in the same house as this guy and it so turns out that we were put in the same room together um, and um, basically we were working through a lot of this a lot of similar issues but um, with two different stories um, and we had this moment in time where um, you know, one night I was reading my Bible before bed and he started asking me questions. And so we kind of started talking about things and um, kind of opened his door to a possibility of a relationship with God again. Um, which, if you know me, I'm not 
the standout on the street corner preacher by any means. Um, so I, it was, you know, definitely a, a point in time of me like being willing to be vulnerable with someone for the first time, talking about those things. And it just so happened that our stories connected. My nephew, Clark Riley, his son was named Riley. Um, and we, we kind of had this moment of truth to where we knew at that point in time that both of us were in that place for a reason and um, finding purpose has been such a struggle for me and and you know questioning what my purpose is in God's eyes and so um, that moment felt like hope because it felt like despite everything that I was going through at, at that time um, I was exactly where I was supposed to be. <laughs> Wasn't that incredible? I got to be there while you we were filming that, and I, I think everyone in the room was crying the whole time. Um, but how many of you have been to Diamond Jack before? Show of hands. Wow. What a, what a good room of people. Wow. Um, if you haven't been, I can't wait to hang out there with you right after this for brunch. It'll be great. Um, there's something about the culture that Micah has created there that you can just feel, right? That this act of hope is a place much wider than a place to grab a bite to eat or a drink, much wider than something just so beautifully designed and curated. I mean, if you've just met Yuki, you have felt a joy that is tangible and wonderful and present. Micah tells an incredible story of meeting an unassuming person um, and discovering it was meant to be all along, that there was a hope waiting on them on the other side of this conversation that suddenly came to life between them. As Micah describes it, a gasp of air after being underwater. Maybe at the end of all of this, a risk of hope for you looks like scanning through the conversations you have with a really hard person, hoping for the chance to see a glimpse of the work of Christ even there. And maybe your risk of hope is pursuing a hopeful action, even when it doesn't rest easy in your soul. And maybe your risk of hope is deciding that you have more hope than you believed all along. Throughout the series, we have seen the risks involved with seeking transformed relationships. God knows we can't do it alone, and he calls us into community with one another on this journey. He also promises us the Holy Spirit to empower us with God's own self-emptying love. We are not able or called to fix every problem that we encounter. And we cannot control how things turn out. God instead calls us to dare to act in hope in the present moment, knowing that this is a part of God's bigger story of restoration. So every week we take a breath and we have a moment of Selah. We want to sit here and not move on too fast. So um, I want to encourage you in this moment, if there is, I asked a lot of questions today. If there's one that's still rolling around in your soul, whether you hate it or you love it or you can't figure it out, I want you to listen to that. Um, maybe also just asking yourself, what's a risk of hope you can take this week? Because I would be shocked if none of us had this room, in this room, had a difficult relationship that we were in. 
And maybe you ask yourself what relationship in your life needs a risk of hope to survive, needs something more to do. So uh, we're going to have scripture on the screen. And also, if these are the only moments of silence you get in this entire week, I'm really glad to do them alongside you. So I'm going to pray. Loving God, fill us with your spirit now. Help us be curious about other stories, listening as often as we speak. Give us the courage to be present, engaging our whole and unique selves. Inspire us to reimagine what's possible, finding hope by glimpsing you at work. In Jesus' name, amen.